Hi everyone, I'm Gary Naw. Always nice to have you on board for what will be an empowering hour. We have a lot of new listeners, a lot of listeners from all over the world. Why at this moment? I'm not sure. But just to give you an overview, all of the science that I state on this program with health and nutrition is all from peer-reviewed literature. For example, today, we're going to begin by talking about the University of Munster in Germany has a study that the role of sunlight can reduce the severity of multiple sclerosis. They looked at 1,700 people with multiple sclerosis and the evidence that just getting out into the sun can end up increasing their blood levels of vitamin D and latitude, that's the distance from the equator, of residents, and those were associated with the severity of multiple sclerosis. They also found evidence related to how sunlight can influence beneficial immune cell activity. Sun exposure in excess is not recommended, of course, because then you risk sun uh, damage, including cancer of the skin. But we're a nation bereft of vitamin D supplementation. We are deficient. In fact, in almost all the people suffering from flu or colds or uh, COVID, they are deficient in vitamin D and vitamin C. Therefore, Occam's razor, use what is most reasonable, the shortest distance between, let's say, disease prevention, and your actions is to bring into your body that which will fortify your immune system. Sunlight will do that. Vitamin D supplementation will also do it. A lot of people living in southern climates, including in Florida, are afraid of the sun. The older they get, the more damage is occurring. And as a result, they try to stay out of the sun, which means they frequently are vitamin D deficient. So anywhere from now with COVID, I'm going to suggest up to 3,000 to 5,000 units of vitamin D a day. It's perfectly safe. But also, going back to my original point, they found that vitamin D impacts gene activity, in particular, MC1R gene, which is associated with sunlight sensitivity. And then you look at the diseases people have and how many diseases would benefit from uh, sunlight and vitamin D. And one of those is multiple sclerosis. So, and they did the MRI scans and they measured uh, gene activity. So, if you have multiple sclerosis, the one thing you want to do is get more sunlight. But again, that's a peer-reviewed literature. Uh, you can read it for yourself. This is in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. And uh, on December 29, 2020, is when this was released. An article entitled, Sunlight Exposure Exerts Immunomodulatory Effects to Reduce Multiple Sclerosis Severity. Why am, I, why am I giving these details? For the newer people, of which there are thousands and thousands of new people just in the last two weeks. Because right now there is a campaign going on to try to discredit or discourage anyone from getting any information from sites and people such as myself. And they'll use every type of lie and disparagement imaginable. So we have to be even more conscious of being scholarly, reliable, and accurate, and unbiased. I have no political agenda. I do not support either the Democrat or Republicans, 
I support truth. That's why I have my, my views as I do. So that's that. But in alignment with this pushback that we must engage in, I've invited Cheryl Atkinson on my program today. And Cheryl Atkinson, just so you know, will be talking about the rapid decay of journalism and the rise of media censorship. And she is a five-time Emmy Award-winning journalist, and she's still on television. You can see her syndicated program on ABC and CBS and Fox and NBC and, and other programs. And she was at CBS for 21 years. She was also at PBS and CNN. So we will be looking at why we can't get honest information on just about anything that is involving the corporate or political interests. And that's the truth of it. So to lead off before Cheryl, after health and nutrition, I'm going to show you how, how it works. And I'm going to give you a little commentary. A long commentary will be on tomorrow's program. I have two commentaries for tomorrow's program and one the day after. As I said at the beginning of the new year, I intend to do a lot of dissecting the, the psyche of fascism, which is alive and well in the United States today, including in it the corporate beneficiaries like hot big tech and the military industrial complex, the energy cartel complex, the medical industrial complex, the banking complexes, the big food complex, all these have more power than what you could imagine. They can also bring in experts to tell people what the truth is, which is almost always opposite of the truth. So we are really in an Orwellian state. So you're going to hear from a doctor. You can actually watch this by going to prn.fm, scroll down, and then you'll see it in real time, or you'll hear it. Either way, it'll be informative. And this is a retired highly respected and extremely, extremely prolific medical doctor, but he's also a researcher and never had a problem in his entire 60-year career until he made a comment about what was inaccurate about COVID. And boy, when they went after him. Who went after him? Wikipedia. In fact, the same editor went after him that has gone after Robert F. Kennedy, myself, Deepak Chopra, Rupert Chopra, everybody. So I want you to hear what it's like to have a pristine reputation, have an opinion that is based upon science about how COVID is being mismanaged, and suddenly your whole career goes up in flames. Now, on tomorrow's program, you will also hear from a woman uh, we're trying to get her live on the air, and she had something to say about COVID. And they just destroyed her, got her fired, have a whole hate campaign against her, misinformation about her views, taken out of context and, and warped. And, uh, and yet she said that she has cured all 300-plus patients that she has seen with COVID using uh, a simple, inexpensive, very safe medication, and it, it, that is hydroxychloroquine with zinc and zithromycin. Another drug that is now being used is ivermectin, also at low doses, safe, effective. Over 40 clinical studies showing it works, and over 200 
uh, showing that um, hydroxychloroquine works. Yet, when she was attacked, vile attacks against her personally, why? Why not debate her? Why not go into her hospital and ask, can you verify that these patients had COVID, were diagnosed legitimately with COVID, and then reverse their COVID through your treatments? None died, not one. None, none, none went into ICU. Show us the proof. That's fair enough. They didn't do that. Instead, they do what they're doing with everyone, and that is destroy the people. Okay, you can destroy 10, 20, 30, 40 people. They did it in the war on AIDS. Anyone who disagreed with Anthony Fauci's uh, war on AIDS fiasco was deemed an AIDS denier and their reputations destroyed. But now you're dealing with over 55,000 medical doctors and scientists who disagree with how the war on, on COVID is being fought. Uh, you can't destroy that many. Uh, some you will. But there is no debate. There's no open discussion. There's no looking honestly and objectively for facts. In fact, the media is 100% on the side of Big Pharma, the New York Times leading the charge, much like it misled the charge, the charge of the Light Brigade. Uh, and when it said weapons of mass destruction with its own reporter, Judith Miller, being completely wrong, and look at the consequences to that. Did everybody quit their job at every news agency that didn't uh, tell the truth, could have found the truth? We found the truth. We were reporting on this program that uh, uh, Curveball, the source Judith Miller was using, was, uh, was not credible, and that Dick Cheney and Scooter Libby and his, his chief of staff were formulating their own le uh, their legitimacy to get into a war with Iraq. And you see the consequences. Did any of these people lose their reputations? George Bush? No. So no longer does the average person trust the mainstream media. They've seen it and its bias. So when a woman comes up to say, I'm going to probably lose my job, but as a board-certified physician, and I'm curing patients, and, and all these other doctors behind her were also they also said they were curing their patients. At that time, it was uh, with uh, hydroxychloroquine, and that we will all be attacked. Well, almost every one of those doctors that stood up and came forward, normal doctors, orthodox doctors, nothing controversial about them, they're all under attack. Several have lost their positions. So that's how it works. In this world today, you would be well-informed to challenge the legitimacy of anything said from any political or media forum. The good journalists, the honest journalists, they've all been attacked and deplatformed. Glenn Greenwald, Abby Martin, Chris Hedges, um, Bruce Dixon, uh, Glenn Ford, all of these people, they're relegated to, uh, to the sidelines. So... That's why I'm giving just this little extended introduction so you can see what this program is about. We will go after the biggest, the most powerful, the toughest, the wealthiest individuals who are lying and deceiving us. In fact, you talk about a program you will not forget. Uh, here is just one of those programs. It's coming this evening at 7 o'clock, and uh, you're going to hear about 
the scientific cabal of virus gain-of-function researchers, all their interconnections, who they are, naming them, the scientific organizations they own or work for, their association with Anthony Fauci, where they get their money, what they have done, how complicit are they in the creation of a gain-of-function virus that ended up being funded by Anthony Fauci at the Wuhan uh, Research Laboratory. No one's given you this information before. We will. That is coming at 7 o'clock prn.fm. You will not want to miss that. Get it because I can assure you it will not end up being shared on the Internet because it'll be scrubbed because my guest will be, and I'll, you'll know who the guest is when you hear her introduced. Uh, she is done meticulous research, and we have researched her research to make sure that from all the statements she's going to be making, everything has been legally and, and vetted for accuracy. You won't hear this program anywhere else. That's tonight at 7 o'clock. And you, you're going to hear a man talking about his dilemma in just a moment. I'm sorry for that extended introduction, but with so many new people coming on board, not quite certain of what this program is about. This program is about truth, empowering people to live longer and healthier lives, and challenging any social injustice, which we've done, breaking more than 300 original stories, more than any other radio program in American history, leading hundreds of demonstrations against causes we believe are in the public interest and promoting the idea of the precautionary principle, first do no harm. This vaccine has bypassed all that. And because of its excellent propaganda, they are now getting people wanting to get the vaccine. Well, did they tell you about the side effects? They tell you about the deaths? They have not. We will. Not that we're against vaccines, but we're for vaccines that have been proven by our standards be safe and effective, and they have yet to meet that. And I've spent over 15,000 hours on this topic. I'm doing a commentary tomorrow challenging the Washington Post for attacking Robert Kennedy Jr. and some others for advocating uh, caution on the vaccines. And uh, by the way, this is just one example. If you get the vaccine, are you under the assumption that vaccine will block the spread of coronavirus? Well, on November 9th, Pfizer announced that the experimental messenger RNA a vaccine for COVID it developed in partnership with Germany's uh, BioNTech had an efficacy rate of 90%. We have, are publishing an article tomorrow showing the actual efficacy of the hard science was 0.7% efficacy. Listen carefully. 0.7%. That's from their actual documents. But they didn't show those documents. Did the New York Times have access to those documents when it said 95%? It could have gotten that. Those are subjective, meaning meaningless, 95%. We use the objective, which is 0.7. And in our article, we will highlight the actual science of how they've misinterpreted all this. And does it prevent you from getting corona? Not at all. Does it prevent you from spreading corona? Not at all. Is there any, they didn't test for that. So they just want to 
correct in case they're able to help you with mild to severe symptoms. But will it prevent you from dying? No. Will it prevent you from going to the hospital? No. Well, then why not just take ivermectin? Why not just take vitamin D, vitamin C, selenium, and zinc? Why not just take hydroxychloroquine? Why not just live a healthier life? Because that's in no one's financial interest. Ah, that's what this is about. Yes. And by the way, more on this, Massachusetts Department of Public Health has withdrawn the mandate for all students to receive an influenza vaccine. That's smart. Now, why doesn't someone in that department actually do their homework and realize, show me the science, show me any science that is objective and gold standard and double-blind placebo-controlled that the flu vaccine does anything to protect a given individual from influenza. But that's where we're going. So now, we are, uh, we are looking, I'll just give you the latest on health here. And so when you tune in tomorrow, we're going to go lickety split through all this information. So now you know vitamin D is good for you. But here's some other information, and I won't go into great detail on it, but the National Institutes of Health scientists have identified a nutrient that helps prevent bacterial infection. This is from own National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. It's taurine, T-A-U-R-I-N-E, which helps the body digest fats and oils and could offer treatment benefits for bacterial infection. And keep in mind, scientists studying the body's natural defenses against bacterial infection have identified taurine that helps the gut recall prior infections and kill invading bacteria. And uh, that's important. This was published in the peer-reviewed journal Cell, and it was uh, from five institutes of the National Institutes of Health. So if you're taking taurine and you're wanting to help the trillions of beneficial microbes and you're living harmoniously inside your gut that can protect you from bacterial infections, now you can add one more nutrient that helps up your, uh, up your ante in being strong against bacterial infections. Also, from the University of Bristol, which is in the United Kingdom, an article published in the Peer Journal Nutrition Research shows that making sure you have enough vitamin B12 in pregnancy is extremely important because it helps prevent the adverse development of certain speech and mathematical abilities in the developing offspring. So that's important. They studied 14,000 pregnant women, and, uh, and this is a long-term study, and that's what they found. So B12 is very important for the development of the brain, central nervous system, etc. And by the way, for those of you who think that, well, can I do too much exercise? Yeah, you can always do too much and injure your uh, ligaments and tendons, but if you're just exercising in a way that's beneficial, that's really good for the body. Oxford University just released a study uh, today that shows that, and published in PLOS Medicine that no limit to cardiovascular benefits of exercise, meaning just keep going. Physical activity is not only associated with lower risk of cardiovascular disease, but there's no threshold for that association with the lowest risk of cardiovascular disease seen those who are uh, most active. So the more exercise you do, the lower your risk. So exercise. 
That's the latest on health and healing. We're going to take a break. Come right back with the, he calls himself the old doctor in a chair, and he is, again, extremely well-known. Um, he is a best-selling author, is a scientist, a physician in good standing, until he challenged the official narrative about COVID. And now they've gone after him. And Wikipedia that's gone after Show Atkinson, my guest, is going after him. We're going to come right back and play that segment. A new habit and put this on YouTube because some of the people from Wikipedia who need to see it may not be smart enough to find brand YouTube all by themselves. I've had a Wikipedia page since Wikipedia was first introduced. It's always contained inaccuracies and to be frank it was obviously written by amateurs who didn't really understand the first thing about journalism and didn't know much about research. Several times I asked Wikipedia to take the page down, but they wouldn't. Ironically, the reason given was that I was considered to have achieved too much to be removed. Curiously, however, the things for which I was considered notable have been removed, but not the page. So, for a couple of decades, the page sat there. Some of the stuff on it was reasonably accurate. Some wasn't. After all, anyone can write and edit a Wikipedia entry, and some entries are put together by kids. For fun. An American teenager edited, apparently, nearly half of the pages on the Scots Wikipedia. He started when he was 12, and it was years before anyone noticed he'd been writing a good deal of drivel. Some editors do mean well and are a credit to the original idea. But sadly, others are just cowardly little weasels who hide behind silly pen names and use the site to promote their political prejudices and pet theories. Many, I fear, are probably simple underachievers, full of opinions, but never able to persuade the real world to take notice of them. And I wonder how many people know it's perfectly possible to pay editors to improve a Wikipedia page. For a nice fee, a Wikipedia editor could probably make even Tony Blair look like a saint. But as far as I'm concerned, on March the 18th, 2020, I was stupid enough to make a video I can't tell you what it was about because this is YouTube, but immediately my Wikipedia page was changed dramatically. Within hours there were Nazi war criminals who had better Wikipedia pages than I did. Everything that I'd ever done that could be considered remotely useful was removed, and the page was filled with an array of clever but deceitful distortions of the truth. It is now official policy to insult, smear and demonise anyone who questions the establishment line, and Wikipedia is one of the weapons. So, for example, I suddenly became a discredited person. Why? Because someone at Wikipedia decided I was. I have filing cabinets full of thousands of reviews and interviews, and no one's ever described me as discredited, until Wikipedia, or an editor on Wikipedia, decided that I was. Then, when a small newspaper in Scotland quoted Wikipedia, the Wikipedia editors put the Scottish paper down as a source for their defamatory comment. A neat little vicious circle. Overnight, I became a conspiracy theorist. Though I rather feel that conspiring is being done by the people I was criticising. Manipulated truths and deceits used to disappear when a newspaper was turned into chip paper. Today, they last for eternity. Someone dug through decades-old internet pages and found that I'd been criticised by something called the Advertising Standards Authority in the UK. 
And what Wikipedia didn't bother to mention that they should have known was that the Advertising Standards Authority is a private organisation and that when they received a complaint about me, I sent them two dozen scientific references in support of my claim that meat causes cancer. The ASA, who'd received a complaint from the meat trade, refused to look at the references and simply announced that I'd been censored. The same thing's true of the Press Complaints Commission. They too refused to look at scientific references before reaching a conclusion. Other decades-old bits and pieces of nonsense were adapted, edited and published without any attempt to pay even lip service to the truth, but with the sole aim of discrediting me. It seems that the page now contains more garbage than the average dustbin. Wikipedia says my theories have been discredited, but only by Wikipedia and a few trolls. My writings about AIDS, for example, were intended to be reassuring and were all scientifically accurate. At the time I was writing, the public was being told that AIDS would kill everyone. And so it goes on. It never occurred to the Wikipedia editors to ask why, if I really were, in their words, a discredited pseudoscientist, I still have a Wikipedia page. The last time I looked, I saw that they deleted details of the successful campaigns I'd run, the TV and radio series I'd made, the voluntary work I'd done with great joy, and they'd also deleted the list of my books, over a hundred of them. They deleted the fact that I'd really written columns for many leading newspapers and dismissed me as a self-published author, slyly omitting to mention that I've had books published by dozens of leading publishers in the UK, the U United States and around the world and translated into 25 languages. They managed to mention that I'd left the People newspaper but failed to mention that I'd resigned because the editor wouldn't print a column I'd written criticising Britain's involvement with the Iraq war. They say I can't practice medicine, but ignore the fact that retired doctors aren't entitled to a licence. A large number of references to articles which were complimentary were simply deleted, as were quotes praising my work. I'm accused of being a pseudoscientist, and that's a libel which is used to credit, discredit anyone who dares to question the establishment view. The aim, of course, was simply to demonise me and to dissuade people from taking any notice of my books, articles and videos. That was the point of it. Wikipedia has become a potent weapon in the new war of oppression and disinformation and in its political bias is now threatening our very freedom and promoting the elite at the expense of ordinary citizens. It's as reliable and trustworthy as the BBC, which is to say not at all. I've been proved absolutely accurate since March, but truth and facts don't matter in this alternative world. I'm not the only one to have been targeted, of course. Anyone who speaks out against the new establishment gets the same treatment. They remove all the individual's real achievements and replace them with anything they can find, edited in such a way as to discredit the person concerned. The Wikipedia site may have started out with good intentions, Though, to be honest, the idea of allowing amateurs to write an editor in encyclopedia was always a trifle flaky and dependent on goodwill and honesty. But until recently it seemed pretty harmless and occasionally useful. So who's behind what's happening? Well, I know the names of some of the self-styled editors. Some of them seem weaselly or cowardly and appear to be driven by jealousies, prejudice and bigotry. They mostly hide, hide behind silly code names. 
Some are undoubtedly working for government agencies, but others are not difficult to identify. So, for example, there's a guy called Chapman who hides behind a silly secret special code name on Wikipedia and seems to me to be a bit of a nerd. He seems to love vaccines and the EU, so he set to work on my page with the zeal of a fanatic, libeling me a good deal. Mr Chapman claims that the 2016 election and the Brexit referendum were swung by Putin. Moreover, he describes himself as a member of the left-wing thought police, which seems to me very accurate. He mixes arrogance with ignorance, apparently without shame, and I suspect the CIA probably sent him a nice big Christmas bonus. Reading round, he isn't loved as widely as he's perhaps liked to be. Maybe he's a part-time soldier for the 77th Brigade. And there's an editor called Mr Earl Grey, believe it or not, who manages to spell the name wrongly and whose pro-government mutterings on a site called Reddit and elsewhere are revealing. Literacy doesn't seem to be a priority and he needs to do a little reading and studying. Mr Earl Grey also wants to remove a Wikipedia page which deals with a series of 15 books I wrote about a GP in a village of Devon. To me, that just looks malicious and will, I rather think, make individual libel damages considerably greater. Even those who once loved Wikipedia are now embarrassed and ashamed of how it's being abused to promote prejudices and political extremism. Certainly the page that's been recreated in my name is unbalanced, destructive and to say the least misleading. I've got screenshots of the worst libels. Larry Sanger was co-founder of Wikipedia. And he... Those are some of his thoughts. He is not alone. Let us go now to say hello to Cheryl Atkinson. Uh, Cheryl is, that, well, that's spelled A-T-T-K-I-S-S-O-N. As I mentioned earlier in the program, she's a five-time Emmy Award-winning journalist, author, and host of the TV program Full Measure with Cheryl Atkinson, and it airs, as I mentioned, on all the different uh, major networks. And she's also the, uh, the book is out right now and is called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Her website is Cheryl, S-H-A-R-Y-L, Atkinson, A-T-T-K-I-S-S-O-N dot com. And her TV program, Full Measure, can be heard Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Nice to have you with us today, Cheryl. Well, thank you for having me. I was listening to the excerpt you just had. I could have written that myself. In fact, I've written similar things about Wikipedia. I've interviewed Larry Sanger. It's just a horrible state of affairs. We're going to get to that in a moment. But I would like first a larger overview, since you've been in the media a long time. And I would like your take on what has happened to TV, radio, journalism, and the press, major news media. And do you believe that it has lowered its standards for being honest and objective? Or have they in any way been compromised by, let us say, potential vested financial interests? And if that is the case, how close does a person go to that third rail of being compromised to becoming corrupted? Could you begin there, please? I think there's no doubt, and I've written extensively about, yes, I think it's fair to call it the corruption of the news media as we once knew it. And yes, the standards within the news media have, within journalism, 
have been lowered, and we've been proud of it. In 2016, many major news outlets announced that they were suspending their normal ethics and standards in order to cover a uniquely dangerous president in their view, which I would argue is contrary to journalism because you need your ethics and standards. That's why you have them. Even if you're covering someone you don't like, it's to make sure that you're doing it in the fairest and most accurate manner possible. But instead, we or they started using anonymous sources in different ways, making mistakes like we've never seen before. You know, news organizations like the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, NBC, you name it over and over again with impunity because in general, even when they make a mistake, if they're there, if you understand to advance the narrative, they still accomplish their mission, even if they're wrong with what they report. So that's why the reporters get promoted and live to see another day, even after the most egregious sort of errors. And this is just part of a process that I started noticing myself in the early 2000s and then really exploded in the 2016 time period with the entrance of Donald Trump on the stage I think combined, there's a couple factors. There's the ideology that people know about that some people have that want to change other people's opinions. There's the industry that understood, as I wrote in my last book, The Smear, how to use the news media to do this, to kind of control us and infiltrate us so that we're reporting on narrative information and controversializing everybody else. But there's also, as you mentioned, corporate interests that intertwine with political interests, and they've all figured out how to dovetail together and use this industry of nonprofits and LLCs and PR firms to organize and influence the news and social media and big tech and pretty much every facet of information that we see. I have, thank you, I appreciate that oversight. Would you unpack the following idea uh, in a larger context? Google employees contributed $21 million, Microsoft 12, Amazon, $9 million, Apple and Facebook, $6 million. By the way, that is just the cash individuals were allowed to give to the Democratic Party. And in, historically, this has also been true of different corporations giving the Republican Party. I'm not, I don't take size. I'm nonpartisan. But then Mark Zuckerberg uh, spent nearly $400 million, a small amount for his fortune, and to influence the election. Now, then you have the associations, for example, uh, Jeff Bezos' ownership of the Washington Post, the Pentagon uh, giving Amazon a huge contract. Uh, it was a $10 billion contract at the time. I don't know what it changed to, but Trump got rid of that. And so then you have the Washington Post owned by Amazon's CEO, Bezos, and now the, he is supporting uh, he is supporting Biden against Trump, which he has a right to do. But then I'm thinking to myself, this is very interesting. So the government uh, allows freedom of speech, even speech you may not like, even offensive speech. In fact, the, uh, the founders actually made note of the fact that it is frequently the most offensive speech that should be protected. But now there's a movement in Congress and by a whole group, and they've gone public with it, that there's so much hate speech that they want something that would be similar to a, a minister of information, like George Orwell's minister of information. So they've already got that as a talking point out into the public, but they want a private public 
the government and public, uh, private industry to work together on this. So now up comes Microsoft, excuse me, up comes Google, Wikipedia, uh, Twitter, and Facebook and others who now are censoring not just individuals but entire groups of people and then attacking them for offering what they consider hate speech. For example, I'll give you one example. If you should have any legitimate reason as a physician, as a parent, as a scientist to question the safety and efficacy of a vaccine, including this vaccine, that's now can be construed as hate speech and you can be construed as a domestic terrorist for that hate speech. So they're tying in your threat to the country. If you say something that does not align and harmonize with the official corporate position or the government position, but they're allowing the private industry to do their dirty work. So they're saying, well, we're allowing you freedom of speech. It's the, you know, it's the First Amendment. But then corporations are doing the censoring. So they've got this unholy alliance that is working a hand in glove together. Do you see any of this from your perspective? Yes, I wrote about this in my new book, Slanted. I make the argument that censorship is the name for what's happening with social media even and big tech, even though they're private companies. And I think I make a pretty compelling case for the reason, which is they're so inextricably tied to government, as you described. In other words, if they don't do what the government wants, let's say Adam Schiff writes a letter as he's done to Google and tells them not to allow searches to vaccine safety sites that go against the pharmaceutical industry's interest on vaccine safety. So he's a member of the government, but he's able to, and no one elected him to do this, but he's able to unilaterally write a letter and convince big tech to censor certain information and shape and send searches to other destinations. They're so inextricably linked, they're one and the same because if Google refuses, there's an implicit threat of regulation, of course, by the government. And then there's the one hand washes the other relationship you described with big tech giving so much money um, as organizations and the executives and the employees to political figures. Now, they give to both parties, but they give mostly to Democrats. And Alphabet, I believe, was the biggest contributor at one time, if not for the whole campaign, for Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, and was up there for Joe Biden. And Alphabet owns Google, and Google is the company that started the whole fact-checking fake news trend, meaning the effort to crack down on conservative news. People think Donald Trump thought up that phrase, but that was actually something that was invented by a nonprofit created by Google under Alphabet in 2015 time period for the very purpose of squelching certain information and certain speech that should be protected. So, yes, I think government and private industry are so intertwined that it is censorship and really its most dangerous form because, as you say, they're trying to cloak it as if it's free enterprise. And that's the talking point you hear now, that this is all fine because these are private companies. They can do what they wish. But I'm quite sure that I would I would suspect that our founders, had they envisioned corporations becoming so ubiquitous and powerful as they are today and so intertwined with government, they certainly would have included that in their definition of what should not be allowed to happen in terms of regulating our speech. I thank you. That, that's a very interesting perspective. It seems that if there is to be any redeemable journalistic integrity a left-in journalists who still are within the mainstream, 
they need to completely detach themselves mentally and emotionally from any and all ideologies. Perhaps it's a feat too difficult for some to achieve because mature critical thinking skills are no longer the first requirement to be a journalist. What we are witnessing is the replacement of objective journalism, the type that you grew up with and many others, with efforts to censor voices, shut off free speech and opposing views and dialogue and debate are no longer permitted in our national discourse. Do you remember when William F. Buckley would debate uh, uh, debate uh, some of the finest liberal minds in the country? It was exciting to see. We learned the strength and weakness of each position by hearing these debates. Norman Mailer debated. Everybody debated him. He was not afraid to debate. That's We don't have today. We don't have point-counterpoint. We only have may official I, narrative. May, may I add to that? I think what happened was we had that, but then certain powerful interests saw themselves losing. In other words, when both sides were aired out, and even during 2016 when there was a lot of false reporting about Donald Trump, he still won. And that showed the powerful interests who opposed Donald Trump, which, by the way, some are on the left, some are on the right, because he's not in the money structure, the same power structure that they were used to for the establishment. When they saw that no matter what they'd done, people were still able to get information that somehow made them want to vote for Donald Trump, maybe his social media, whatever it is, they decided they couldn't afford that discourse that people can get access to both sides of a story or all the information. And I think that's what set off this last four years and it's accelerated now, this effort to make sure people cannot see and hear certain things because the other side is so fearful that they're losing that battle because people are not coming away with the right opinion after they hear both sides or research things for themselves. I would agree with that. We need open debate. We need controversial issues discussed in a fair and honest way and let the public decide. The trouble is the public no longer has the ability to hear unless they seek out some independent sources because the mainstream media is talking all together. Now, one point here that's important, if you would address it, please, that is that today is the last day that the president can offer pardons. And last evening, Tucker Carlson excoriated the president and said, if you want to have any legacy that can be redeemable and remembered, pardon Joy Assange, pardon Karakal, and, and I would have added pardon uh, Snowden. And pull back for a moment and think about this. All of the news media in America and all of the journalists with that media appreciated that the person who shared more secret information that was not stolen, he, he was a journalist and joined Assange, he exposed the truth about what people were really doing. For example, he told us Hillary Clinton was uh, strong-arming every country around the world as Secretary of State to use genetically engineered uh, seeds instead of local organic and was threatening him. He gave us the emails between... Vanessa and, and Clinton, and talked about how, do, tell the unions, you know, that you're pro-union so you get their vote, but then, then promote the Trans-Pacific Partnership. 
And if we didn't have Julian Assange's information, we wouldn't have known all the crimes and misdemeanors committed by these rogue elements. For telling the truth and finding the culprits who are committing crimes, he is in prison. The people committing the crimes, nothing. The same is true for Leslie Manning, the same, uh, excuse me, uh, 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 Bradley. Bradley Bradley Manning. Nothing, nothing that they did, in my opinion, represents anything other than praise and honor. Why hasn't the liberal media come out and fought to also demand that they be uh, given pardons? Why did it take you know, Fox and one of his panelists to say they need a pardon? Note, and also, um, I mean, we didn't know anything about the mass surveillance of Americans. In fact, Clapper had given false testimony right before Snowden revealed it to be false. He had given false testimony under oath to Congress saying there was no mass surveillance program. And I argue that because we got successfully distracted by the propagandists into the game of, I call it, Where's Waldo?, we were looking at the content when it came out of what Snowden revealed, which was incredible and very complicated. It needed a lot of deep dive reporting and explanation. There was just so much material. But suddenly a shiny ball was thrown in the other directions. And I noticed at the news conferences at the White House, it changed from content, what he, the outrages he was exposing to the dialogue with Where's Waldo? Oh, is he in Russia? Is he going to get on a plane to China? or sorry, to Cuba, what time do the flights leave from certain airports? Maybe we can find him. And all the discourse over what he revealed went away, and we were successfully distracted and treating him like a criminal instead of looking at what he revealed. And I argue you can do both. You can examine the actions, but also not forget about the very important material that he revealed. He said in an interview early on that his biggest fear was he would do reveal all that he did and that nothing would come of it. And I'm quite afraid that that's exactly what's happened, because by not having anybody held accountable for the alleged crimes that our intel agencies have been conducting, we had further crimes committed in 2016 and still not prosecuted, as we know. And then we had what's happened in 2020 with the public losing confidence in the election and the ability of or the drive for Department of Justice to do anything about a fair investigation. All of this is a result of that dynamic. And I would agree with you. I think that a pardons would send a huge signal. These, these men were targeted with organized campaigns to controversialize them because of the information that they revealed, not because it was wrong, um, meaning the information was incorrect because it wasn't. Um, and yet all the perpetrators of other alleged crimes, such as spying on Americans and unmasking Americans and surveilling me, those, in effect, have gotten pardons for years because no one's going to prosecute them or do anything about them. And, and even Comey, the former FBI director, when it was determined by the inspector general that he committed an alleged crime and that was referred to Department of Justice, I'm not sure people even know that, Department of Justice said they didn't want to prosecute because he didn't mean any harm. His intent was not, too, was not bad. So by that standard, which is also the Hillary Clinton standard, why she wasn't charged, if Assange and Snowden didn't mean any harm, why do they not get the same pass as the alleged criminals who work inside our government? Well said. Think of the times back in the 1970s 
even historically, I'm not a s- suggestion you were reporting back then, when it was exposed through congressional committees that the CIA had substantial infiltration and influence in media, including Luce with the time, a publisher of uh, Time Life. And at that time, it was stated over a 1,000 employees of the CIA had contacts and associations or influence within the media. Now, so we now invite members of the national security state, including Clapper and including uh, Brennan from the CIA and the National Security Agency. And as you said, he was proven to lie, but he was not prosecuted for lying. Um, And now they are at CNN and MSNBC supposedly telling us what the truth is on all issues involving uh, a president or, or security. Since when did the media trust any of these deep state actors to be the official spokespersons? This this is not the media that I grew up with in the 1960s and 70s. Well said, and I'll point out that Brennan, his uh, CIA was spying on uh, Senate computers, and he denied it. So again, another false tale. But when an inspector general report revealed that he apologized, as Clapper did after he was revealed to have given false information, there's surveillance going on. Imagine we've just caught them in a few things. Imagine what's really going on that we don't know about. And then I think you said it quite well. The intel agencies, I think, have always had a way to get a news media. If you look at emails, you can see people covering the intel agencies, clearing their stories with them improperly, emails that have been leaked out. This is a way that they've had influence or their finger in the news anyway. But now they don't even need to do that because the news has just invited them on to distribute their propaganda on a daily basis. You're talking about, you know, the appearances by Clapper and Brennan and Comey and so on, which, you know, never would have been done, at least in my opinion, 15 years ago, because we understood there needs to be a firewall between the propagandists on either side, the people who work for government and intel agencies. There needs to be a firewall between them and and the news. You know, we're supposed to not, I learned in journalism school, just put unfiltered information and propaganda from companies and politicians on the news. Even if you're having a debate, you know, you're just serving your the purpose of being a propaganda machine for each side if you're just going to allow your television station or your news operation to be used in that way. But I was taught when people come to you with their ideas, that's not news necessarily. If you think there's news there, that's your starting point. Then you find out what the story is, who wants you to think a certain thing and why and what's really going on. You don't just bomb it out what they say in real time and and give them this platform, turning yourself into a propaganda tool. But that's exactly what we've done. When was the last time that any major media in the United States, from Harper's and Atlantic to NBC or CNN or Washington Post, New York Times, exposed crimes or misdemeanors at the FBI and Justice Department, at the CIA, at the National Security Agency, or at Homeland Security? Well, they're very busy covering a lot of them up or explaining them or justifying them. I mean, there have been, I think, quite a few crimes not exposed by them, but acknowledged and reported after much attempt not to, such as the unmaskings that were conducted in 2016. Let me give you an example. Um, I believe it was Samantha Power who made unmasking requests during the election year, which is inappropriate, in my view, use of intel tools 
to reveal the names of innocent Americans who are picked up in surveillance. This is a very sensitive thing. Their names are supposed to be protected so nobody misuses them for political purposes. She's in there more than once a day asking for the names of people so that they can presumably allegedly get dirt or find information on people that they shouldn't be doing. Then she tells once she's caught, she allegedly tells Congress, well, I didn't make a lot of those requests that are in my name. Well, that implies a crime on its face if someone is, and that's a national security concern, I would think, if someone is using the name of a government official and unmasking the names of innocent Americans picked up in intelligence and getting this information and she says she's not doing it, and that's an easy paper trail by a computer to figure out who is getting the information. And poof, that, that would have been the easiest investigation for somebody to do in 2016, and nobody did. It just went away, floated out there in the ether. And nobody was curious, and nobody's hardly talked about it since, except maybe a couple members of Congress. It's just, you know, there, there's a hundred things like that. It's just really, really alarming. Finally, what responsibility do you believe Big Pharma has with its enormous and successful infiltration in the media as being just one of the reasons why journalism has eroded to the degree that it has over the years where a person, let's say, and this is a true story, a board-certified pediatrician woman and vaccinates her first child, vaccinates uh, no problem, the second child ends up with autism, she begins to do her homework and is very concerned that she was and she told me, I felt great guilt because I'm a scientist. I'm a physician. I should have done my homework, and I didn't. And then instead of looking at what she has uncovered and then offering a cautionary uh, tale for others, then they double down on trying to discredit her, and the media is the tool they use to do it. And now the media is being told by Big Pharma, anyone who doesn't vaccinate is a danger. The World Health Organization's listed people who have completely legitimate reasons not to vaccinate, possibly. Everybody was pro-vaccine at one time until we started seeing the negative results. And now we're seeing some of the negative results or the lack of good science. And now you're an enemy of the state. You're a domestic terrorist. Uh, you have to be censored. You have to be deplatformed. And the media is responsible for this. Your thoughts? I would agree. And in fact, in the 2000 time period when I was assigned to cover vaccine safety stories for CBS News. I had no idea the rabbit hole this was going to go down, but it was the pharmaceutical industry that I first noticed using these strategies and tactics we're talking about now that I wrote about in my last book, The, the Smear, where they figured out how to controversialize, use social media, call the corporate directors, threaten with advertising, and make sure that the wrong thing, in their view, didn't get reported, even though it was factually correct. And it was just stunning to me because I'd never seen anything like that as a journalist and how effective it was. And those strategies and techniques have been now adopted by other corporations and by political interests and have been quite successful in some ways. But I would just say, I mean, if there's a way I can leave you with this little feeling of hope, the idea, whether you like Donald Trump or not, the idea that the media was pervasive in insisting people could not vote for him because he was uniquely dangerous. And yet he got 10 million more votes this time than he did before shows that a lot of people are wise to the propagandist nature of information that we have today, and they're not listening to it. And I think that's frightening the other side even more 
and causing them to do this massive crackdown on free information and free speech. And my last point, I don't know if do we have time for one more point. Go, yes, go ahead, please. My last point is maybe they're doing us a favor by this radical, drastic move they're making, you know, post-election and actually right before the election had started. Because if they were mm-hmm. doing it more subtly as a drip, 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 we might not notice so much. But they're creating activists out of ordinary people who don't even really have a dog in the fight but for the idea of free speech. People that maybe don't feel so strongly about Donald Trump one way or the other, but now see what's happening in terms of the information landscape, and it scares them. So maybe they've almost done us a favor by being so audacious and ridiculous in these moves that they've been making so that there will be some pushback. Cheryl Atkinson, thank you very much for coming on. The book is Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, and her website is CherylAtkinson.com. Watch your television program Sunday morning, 9.30. Thank you very much, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you all for listening, and tonight, 7 o'clock, you will hear a phenomenal program with information you did not know exist. It'll be exclusive. Have a nice day.